Welcome to the True Condos Podcast with Andrew LaFleur, the place to get the truth on the Toronto condo market and condo investing in Toronto. All right, it's my pleasure to welcome to the show Brian Johnston. Brian is the Chief Operating Officer at Mattamy Homes. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks, thanks, Andrew. Great to be here. Um, great to have you. Why don't we start? You can tell us a little bit about yourself. What's your background? How did you get into the real estate industry and to where you are today? Well, I've been in the industry now just over 30 years. I, I started out, I'm a, a, a chartered accountant by profession training and uh, I joined Monarch Corporation back in 1984 and as a lowly accountant in their finance area and uh, Kind of worked my way up through the ranks of that company, which went through a number of, uh, I guess, iterations. At one point, it was a public company, and and then it was taken private. It had, you know, some substantial investments in the United States, and uh, I was there at the time when Monarch got into the high-rise business in the early 1990s, and the company, through through I guess its various forms, was. Uh, essentially sold by its British parent about five years ago and it ended up being owned by a couple of equity funds uh, investors, two very large uh, equity funds in the United States and it was part of a North American uh, real estate entity and uh, so at, at that time I was president of the company but there was I certainly got the sense uh, after the, that uh, change in ownership had taken place that uh, the company and the company name was Taylor Morrison was less interested in Canada and certainly a lot more interested in participating in the uh, up, upswing in the U.S. housing market and so sort of viewed Canada as a source of capital as opposed to a uh, place to put capital and uh, I felt it was it was unambitious as an organization so I decided to join Mattamy and that was just over three years ago. Mattamy's definitely a different breed of cat in the sense that it's a much more ambitious organization has a uh, you know significant amount of capital and led by Peter Gilgan who um who who I would argue is a is a, is a true entrepreneur uh, very much uh, interested in in growth and uh, so I thought this would be a, a very interesting place to rather than sort of sit out my days and you know sort of take care of a I guess a steady state organization at Monarch I felt coming to Mattamy would have been a much more exciting place to work um, what can you tell? Speaking of Peter, what can you tell us about Peter as the founder and CEO of Mattamy? What kind of a guy is he, and what's what's sort of his vision? What drives him? Well, there's Peter is your he he built the company 37 years ago. Started out with two houses in Burlington, and I would say he understands the home building business from soup to nuts, and, and that would include land development. Uh, Construction, customer service, um, land planning. He he kind of came out of say the the recession from the late 1980s or well sorry early 1990s and kind of ended up as the number one home builder in the GTA in the 1990s and kind of almost came from nowhere. Um, and I would uh, Peter is, is has a lot of drive, has a lot of. Uh, um, ambition. I would say he's almost fearless in some of the things he does. Uh, fearless in the sense that he doesn't take risks foolishly, but he understands risks and is willing to, uh, you know, forge forward, whereas many others would not. Um, I would say in the last 
10 years, he's become very, very philanthropic because he's made a lot of money in this business. Um, I think the latest tally I saw was that he'd, he'd given them $150 million away to various uh, charities, including Sick Kids, uh, Women's College Hospital, um, the Oakville Hospital. Um, you know, it's a long list of, of institutions that he's been, uh, um, you know, very charitable towards. And uh, so that's been a big part of his, his life. Meanwhile, growing Madame. Madame uh, was very dominant and continues to be dominant in Toronto, but he struck out to other markets. He went to the United States about 11, 12 years ago, um, went to Ottawa probably not that long ago, maybe seven or eight, eight or nine years ago maybe, um, went out west to Calgary. And uh, we've been, as a company, we've been steadily expanding into new markets and went into Edmonton last year, went into Tucson, Arizona, have been in Phoenix for probably eight or nine years, um, Minnesota, Charlotte, um, multiple cities in Florida. So it's, uh, it's a very much a, a varied organization. You mentioned you you got most of your most of your career was at Monarch and now the past three years at Mattamy. Um What what are the key sort of differences or what things that you notice or what really makes Mattamy unique as a company as a culture? Well, I, I would say that um, Mattamy is much more of a um, well, let's put it this way: much sprawling, more sprawling organization, much larger. Um, incredible land bank in the greater Toronto area, and it's built mm-hmm. up a land land bank in other parts, including Ottawa and Calgary, and certain parts of Florida. Um, Give us a sense, like how how many employees at Mattamy? Mattamy would have about uh, just under fourteen hundred employees spread out through, yeah. yeah, through throughout North, North America. And compare that to Monarch, at its peak, it had just over two hundred employees. So you can see it's it's a much larger organization. Absolutely, and just in terms of the culture, like what's what's the vibe there? What's the company like? What um, what are people excited much, about? Is it, is it all come from Peter and work its way down, or? Um, it's a much more hard driving organization. Um, at Monarch, it was um, land is a scarce resource. You've got to um, take care of it. Um, don't sell it because it's uh, it's very hard to replace. At Mattamy. It's much more, we have a very significant land base, uh, land bank, and um, it's not as uh, fearful an event to sell quickly through a community because we've got lots more, you know, on the back shelf, which we can pull down and uh, uh, just keep going. So it's uh, it's kind of in a different place in its evolution as an organization. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a volume builder, much more so than Monarch was. Monarch was... Uh, more of a margin builder. Um, not that's not to say margins aren't important at Mattamy because they are, but it, it's more of a we want to move through the uh, the product uh, relatively quickly, you know. And we'd like to build in sequence, like we'd like to build down a street as opposed to here, there, and everywhere in terms of uh, um, selling off houses. I mean, that's that's the ideal template. It always it doesn't always work that way, but that's that's the plan. Um, now the company, I understand, is you're moving headquarters from, is it Oakville, to downtown Toronto. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, our corporate office is moving down, down to uh, uh, the TD Centre. We're uh, just sort of working through that one right now. There's some remediation work required on the space that we're taking. And, but we've also decided to split up the operations side of the business. We've got a 
Holden Hamilton business, which is um, essentially Milton, Oakville, uh, Waterdown. We're going to keep that as a separate division out in Milton, and then we're going to have an operation up in up in Vaughan, essentially 407 in Keel. What we're going to do, the balance of the GTA, and that's where we're going to put our high-rise uh, uh, team as well. When we're sort of consolidating all these offices. And, and redistributing them as, as such because obviously Monarch's office is out in uh, it's really at uh, Victoria Park in 401 and we're we're going to con- try and consolidate all the offices in, to serve us a sensible way that we can more easily manage the business. And is it the move downtown? Is it also uh, partly sort of symbolic or partly sort of making a statement of saying you know we we want to have a presence in Toronto we want this high rise division. That we're starting to to become a very big part of the business, uh, or is it you want to just be closer to the sort of the flow of capital? Yeah, I mean, think downtown well, the, or the high rise business is actually not going to be located downtown, so it's not about the high rise business. It's really about um, it's it's we're trying to detach the corporate office, the administrative function, the executive offices from the businesses. Let the businesses do what they do best. And it's really about being close to the, the capital markets, the financial markets, the, the I guess the accounting, auditing, the legal, the, the, the legal aspects of it. And it's really about um, creating a more professional, multinational organization. It's just really part of the evolution of the company to sort of detach ourselves from the, uh, the boots on the ground, so to speak. Well, what can you tell us about um, Adamy's move into the high-rise market? Um, I guess the biggest question, really, I think, is why now? Madame um, being such a huge company for so long, a dominant player in the industry for so long, they could have done this, I, I suppose, had many opportunities probably to move into this market over the decades. But why now? What, uh, what's sort of the thinking behind getting into it now? And, and I don't know what you can tell us about how the deal sort of came together to, to purchase Monarch. Well, I mean, just in terms of the Monarch acquisition, it was comprised of you know, three things that interest us. Uh, a significant land um, and housing operation here in the greater Toronto area, a significant land and housing operation up in Ottawa, and the, the high-rise business here in Toronto. And so um, the those other two things Madame does and does well. Um, high-rise is not something that Madame does at the current time. To sort of address the question of well, why now? Madam, um, actually made a couple false starts, I would say, in, in trying to get into high-rise. It had a, a site tied up at um, Bayview and Eglinton, kind of uh, up in the northeast. It was um, kind of opposite of uh, well, it's not too far from the CNIB building, which all that lands have been developed subsequently. But it did have a site tied up there and and uh, didn't go forward with it. Um, has done one high-rise building up in Brampton on, um, I guess it's Queen Street west of the 410, and that was kind of uh, its first foray. And I wasn't here when it was done, but everybody tells me it wasn't terribly successful. The building was sold and built, and but it wasn't, I mean, I think we could all agree that maybe that wasn't the best place to start a high-rise business. Right, right. (laughs) I mean, you know, if I were sitting here trying to convince you to, uh, go up and buy there, you might sort of say, well, mm, no, why there? Um, right, right. And there were, there were right. some other reasons behind it. It was part of a, um, a desire to address a concern by the, the, the Brampton City Council that not enough high-density housing was being built. And 
why should we be approving more low-rise residential in Brampton? And we said, well, we'll, we'll do some high-rise if that's what it takes to get our approvals. And um, so that was that was that was well, that went forward. Um, and when I came to Anatomy about three years ago, that the company had the um, the uh, Golden Mail site tied up, which is at Front and I guess Bathurst. And, oh, really? I did not know uh, that. Interesting. Yeah, it was uh, it was a big nut too. It was it was like 150 million dollars, and I kind of got here and I said, "Holy crow! Like this is this is enormous. This site. This yeah." Is, I'm not arguing it's not well located. I think it's a, it's a great site, but it's kind of putting a, a massive, enormous cart before no horses. We didn't even have any horses. We had two people here who were kind of at the front end doing the acquisition and market analysis, but we had no construction staff, no planning staff. Um, we had some planning expertise, but nowhere near the, 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 the size of an organization necessary to undertake something like this. And it was going to be a massive planning exercise. And, so we, we kind of tackled it and looked at it and essentially decided that this wasn't going to work, and we dropped the deal. And it was picked up by, hmm, I think it was sort of a consortium, and it's a, it's going to be a mixed-use development. It's going to have some retail, and I think there's office there, and it's going to be residential. But it's more than three years later, and you can see there's still nothing there. And that was my great fear on that site is that they were going to tie up all this capital on a site that was going to take you know, years and years and years, and that's proven to be correct uh, right. to get through the planning system and get open for sales and to build. I mean, at, this, at the rate they're going now, they're not going to be delivering a house probably or a condo for three or four more years. So that will be seven years since the, the day that the Madbean originally tied it up. So I think that was the right call. Um, so in order to, to get into the business, we could have done it piecemeal, one building at a time, and we were circuiting yeah. tires. But it's just a whole lot faster and less. Uh, the theory being that we're going to make nowhere near the number of mistakes, and we're we're not going to have to cycle through staff. The opportunity to buy an experienced, well-regarded, high-rise team uh, f- as part of the Monarch acquisition was uh, certainly viewed as an opportunity that should not be missed. Right. So what happens with Monarch, like you said, is is known as a very good builder in the high-rise mm-hmm. business. They've got a lot of great sites. Um, what happens to their existing buildings? Is it just sort of just status quo? Like every, the buyers who bought there and investors, they won't notice a difference? Or like how, how, does it, how does it work uh, when it transitions from Monarch into Matamy yeah, for the existing sites? Yeah, we we did a we we commissioned a, a market study to try and understand you know, what we should be doing. What was the market telling us to do? What would be the perception of Monarch versus Mattamy? And interestingly, we found that Mattamy had a extremely strong name in the GTA. Um, probably the it, well, not probably it is the preeminent uh, brand within the GTA um, generally. But in the um, in the high-rise space, uh, since Sammy doesn't do do uh, do high-rise, mm-hmm. the, the Monarch name was stronger, but not the strongest. Uh, interestingly enough, um, there are a couple other brand names, and you can probably guess who they are that have <laughs> more um, market uh, awareness generally. And, right, I have a few uh, ideas. <laughs> yeah, you you take a guess, and the first one will be right. Um, yeah. And so we said, okay, 
what we need to do here is we need to translate some of that market awareness of Mattamy into the high-rise space, but we can't do it overnight because that will not be successful. So essentially what we're going to do is we're going to continue to build out the existing buildings that are underway under the Monarch name, but we're going to bring in the Mattamy brand and, uh, and we're going to transition over to the Mattamy brand. And, and we're sort of debating our first new building under the, uh, with the new with the new team as to whether it goes out of the box as a as a monarch uh, monarch building or a a madame building and uh, I'm kind of inclined to think we should start it as a madame building because it's an outstanding location up near uh, Davis and Young Davisville and Young and so that kind of location um, is it, there's not a lot of danger that we're gonna mess it up because it's it's such a strong location that uh, the Mattamy name will, will probably do pretty well up there. Well, that's very interesting. So Davisville and Young, uh, yeah. obviously great location, a lot of activity happening in Midtown there with the LRT coming in. Um, I'm very involved there myself. A lot of my clients are, are purchasing in that area. What what else can you tell us about the site? I don't know if what you is it. Uh, can you give us the exact location, or is it you can't say um, that? Or is it a high rise, a mid rise? Uh, it's on the east side. It's north of the north of the um, the, the subway station. Um, it's kind of a stretch that I think there was a Rogers building there. I think the Rogers was there. So it's it's in that little little stretch. Right. There. The, the exact address is probably not as important as the fact that we're probably going to do an eight or ten story building. I don't have the exact stats with me, um, like 120 or 140 units. Um, it's it's kind of kind of sell itself in my view. I mean, it's uh, done quite a bit of work. We expect to go to market later this fall, and um, I'm fairly confident we'll do well there. Yeah, I would say 120 units at Young and Davisville. Um, hard to go wrong with that. Yeah, that's what <laughs> that type, I think. Yeah, that type of building in that type of location fits that market perfectly. Yeah. Uh, but really, anything on Young Street obviously is always going to generate a lot of interest. Um, what else can we expect from that first building, like, and, and maybe the first few buildings from Mattamy? Um, will you take a similar philosophy, as you mentioned, with your low-rise, where the goal is to move through product quickly, and the implication being for the investor that, you know, they'll be priced to sell, they'll be they'll be priced to sell quickly. Yeah. Is that... I mean, my observation generally is the high-rise market is probably closer to the Mattamy model in the sense that because in high rise you need to get a certain level of sales before you get construction, um, builders are highly incented to move the product to get to that pre-sales level, whatever it is, 70% or so, uh, relatively quickly. And then the big holdup appears to be the the planning issues. You got to get your working drawings. You got to get them in for permit. You got to wait for that and all that. I mean, certainly we're going to try and move things quickly. Um, I don't think we're going to be able to move it any faster than than others. I think that I think the the business model just kind of dictates that you move it relatively quickly and um, you know price to market to ensure that uh, you, know, you keep the bankers happy and uh, keep the purchasers happy. What opportunities do you see in the high rise market? What where do you see the biggest opportunity? There's so much competition in the market. There's so many. People who have different opinions on, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, there's a condo bubble and, and this kind of thing. You always hear these things. Where, what is your take on the market, and where do you see the most opportunity? 
Well, I mean, you know, if you've just heard, I mean, you guys would be aware of this, but if you track pricing of condos versus single-family homes or, you know, low-rise product, but really the condo, the bubble story is kind of old news because prices are pretty well flatlined uh, per square foot. I think they 3 or 4% year-over-year price increases, and that's a fairly consistent story if you just sort of follow those real net store uh, articles that come out in the Toronto Star or it's even in some of the other publications. It, that's that's not the story. The story really is low-rise houses, house prices continue to escalate well above inflation. And so if one was looking for a bubble, that's the place to find it. Um, but it's just a product availability issue. There's just not enough single-family or townhouse product available. And we certainly see that every time we open up for sales in any of our communities. Um, like our view on the on the high-rise is that Right now, more than 50% of uh, homes being sold or residential units being sold are, are high-rise. I don't think that's going to change because if you go into the outer areas, it's very difficult to get approvals for uh, ground-oriented low-rise houses. And, you know, we fight that fight every single day, whereas in, in high-rise, it's much easier. It seems to be the – it's not – doesn't seem to be. It is government policy to intensify and uh, – so I'm I'm optimistic and positive. Like Toronto's gonna going through this uh, this evolutionary change, and it's being fueled by population growth, immigration. Um, we don't build apartment buildings; we build condominiums, and that's the proxy for an apartment building. And that's kind of the the one dynamic that a lot of people who are outside of Toronto don't really understand is that oh. Um, no apartment buildings. No, no apartment buildings. It's for, for the most part, it's almost all uh, condominiums, and investors tend to be the landlords. And uh, um, so it's it's really fueling that supply for the first-time buyer or the urban liver, the person who wants to live close to where they work and where they eat. Um, anybody goes out in the roads these days, they know that driving a long way is is frustrating. It's uh, becoming more and more difficult and the, the, the response to that is to find something that's closer to uh, quote-unquote all the action including schools and, and, and jobs. Um, obviously you're probably aware that a lot of uh, movement or, or, or money going into the rental apartment business now. You, you said Madame is not a, in that business but do you see a day where perhaps there might make sense for Madame to be in that market or is that just not something fundamentally um, well, not interested in that well low interest rates are kind of driving that i mean if and it's really about cap rates so if i if i could build a high-rise apartment building and, and sell it with a four and a half percent cap yeah i actually can make some money so it's all that's highly dependent on interest rates and so if you believe the narrative that interest rates are going to climb that this is kind of a um a short-term thing i don't i i don't see it as a long-term trend um, but at this moment in time, with low, with low interest rates, it, it, it makes sense. And would we do it? Um, I would not rule it out. Um, it, it does. Requ- it's a different type of business model. It requires a little bit of different. Oh, the buildings are finished differently. You have to. We wouldn't buy and hold. We would buy and sell. Um, right. That, I mean, we would. We wouldn't hold an apartment building in our portfolio. We would essentially take a site. And you really have to design and then build and then rent, and that represents risk too. So one of the ways to deal with that is to get a, a sale price 
like a contract when you commence construction with the with the end user. And there's lots of those people out there, whether they're pension funds or or REITs or or, or even private investors. So that's one way out. It's, it's certainly not a business that we're saying, hey, we're going to get into that business because this is my personal opinion. I don't see it as a long-term um, trend just because of interest rates are so low right now, but I don't think that's going to continue. Very interesting. Um, what do you think is the biggest problem right now in the high-rise industry in Toronto, and is there something that Madame is planning to do to address that problem? Well, I think the problem is probably a lack of good available sites. Um, but you probably could ask me 10 years about the same question. I might have said the same thing. Um, right. But I think that it, it really is, I think, becoming systemic. I mean, the sites that we're looking at now are generally smaller because the good, well-located sites that will take density are, are, are hard to harder to find. Um, can we solve that problem? No, I don't think we on our own can solve it, but I think it just it's a question of always monitoring the market, being aware of what's for sale, and uh, you also have to be patient in this business. It's, uh, you know, to take a piece of land through the planning process is uh, time-consuming and comp- complex, and uh, it's just a question of just taking your skill set that uh, allows you to 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 actually do that, go through the planning process and just uh, get the zoning that you want and what the market wants. Now, a lot of builders have mentioned the exact same thing in the lack of available sites. Do you see that as a precursor to um, something in the city? Do you see that as a as an opportunity for people who are buying today, especially in the core at these prices where things are at? Do you see it as sort of a Manhattanization effect where um, there will come a time in the near future where these prices of you know five six hundred dollars a square foot are just unheard of because there's just nowhere else to build, particularly in the core. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say in the short term. I think longer term. I mean, when I take a look at uh, the Urban Nation reports, and it looks like there's lots of buildings coming to the market. There's a lot of completions, and um, it'll steadily supply the market. Um, so in the short term, no. In the medium or longer term, yeah, that wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, it's um, and the sites are going to be moving a little bit further away from the subway lines because everybody wants to be near a subway. Um, yes. But there are areas that you know where people are just going to have to get out and they're going to have to walk a little distance to get to the subway, and uh, it's um, it's going to open up other areas as well. Like if you look at the subway line that's going up in Devon. I can see high rises being built up there along the subway lines because those are unbuilt lawn areas. But you know, all the planning will require to get a high rise approved will will take some time. But uh, it's um, it's forever thus has been. And so, is Madame actively looking to acquire downtown sites? Like, how would you describe your 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 behavior in that market? Is it very aggressively looking for more sites downtown in particular? or focus on other things um, right now just building out the monarch sites that are existing oh no no or? no we we definitely want to we want to build up the uh the anatomy the business the high-rise business so um we're looking at everything that comes across our desk trying to decide whether we can make the numbers work and uh you know what are the planning challenges what's the market like so 
yeah, we've we've been pretty clear in our in our direction to the um, the Monarch High Rise team that we want them to grow that business. So, uh, yeah, we're 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 looking everywhere. That's great. I mean, I sort of picture the the Monarch team. You said about the 200 employees when you got the 1,400 employees at the big mothership of of Madame. I'm sort of picturing the the Monarch team uh, just salivating at the, the, all this influx of new capital and new resources to sort of you know exponentially grow the business overnight is that is that sort of what what life yeah, is like over there right now yeah well in particular in light of the fact that taylor morrison um is only a residential home builder in the united states and they felt they you know they would so reluctantly go along with the high-rise proposals whereas we're not reluctant at all we're saying go go um there's a building um on the waterfront down at uh Near Park Lawn and Lakeshore, where Monarch is building, and it's uh, it's called Riva del Lago, and it's 157 units. And they had like about let me think about 80 sales, and so it's just over 50 percent. And we said you should start construction on that building, and they kind of looked at us and said, well, well, we don't normally go until we're about you know 70 or 80 percent pre-sold. And I said, well, so that would have been 110 to 120 units. They need to get 30 more, and, and we've kind of said, um, well, we know that location. This is premium real estate. It's right at the front. It's the it's yeah. the, the building that faces the water. There's no yeah. there's no building going to be in front of it. There's a park. There's a trail. Um, we know that real estate will sell, so you should just go ahead. And uh, so that kind of surprised them. And uh, they sort of said, well, what about financing? I said, well, financing will take care of itself because – it's going to take you a while to get your building permit. You're going to have to do this. You're going to have to do that. And by the time we need financing, um, you'll be at your, your 70 or 80% pre-sale levels that the banks require. So we're not worried about it. They never would have had that conversation with Taylor Morrison. Right. Right. Absolutely. Great uh, great anecdote there. Um, Brian, thank you so much for your time. Is there any other question that you think that nobody's asking about the high-rise market, but sort of you as a new entrant into the market, you might you you might see things in a different way from everybody else, and I think that could be a refreshing thing in in the business. Like, is there anything that any question that people are not asking about the market, but that you feel should be asked, and and what is that question? Um, well, I think that you know the market is evolving, and uh, it's how do we as a, as an industry address um, the buyers that that want to who are older. You know, we seem to have been consistently addressing the buyers that are younger and the 700 square feet, and we'll see if we can cram two bedrooms in there. And it's like the older buyers. And how big should those buildings be? How what should they look like? Where they should should they be located? What is it we as an industry need to do to to appeal to that type of buyer? And uh, I'm not saying I have the answer to it, but I think it's a it's a it's a wave that's coming. Like people who live in Leaside, they can sell their house for a million too. Can we get them a condo for seven hundred thousand? They'll address their unit, their, their needs, and um, there's there's a whole bunch of buyers out there. And, and what do these buildings need to look like to address that that buyer profile? And it's um, it's a tricky question because I think that's the one part of the the market that has kind of been left behind um, in terms of. And you you can hear people talking about it, but it's um, it's generally not really been addressed holistically is how I would term it. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, uh, like you said, there's a huge movement towards building smaller product and there's very little, uh, very few builders in the business who are focused on the 
the larger product for the more mature buyer, particularly the the, the downsizer yeah. buyer. Yeah. Yeah, and the other thing is, how do we get them to buy off paper? Because they won't buy off paper. Yes. Yes. They're cynics, right? <laughs> They'll say, "I'm not buying." I mean, yeah. I want to see what it looks like. Well, if you don't buy, I can't build because I can get financing. So we're kind of we're just we're in the we're You're locked. In the we're, yeah. We, yeah, it's a stalemate. So how do, how does the industry address that issue? So well, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess one way to do it is like you said with. Uh, with your Riva Dalag, was just build it. Yep. <laughs> if you build it, they will build come. It. Obviously, yep. you, then you as the builder take on all the risk, and uh, you don't like to do that. But I guess that would be the easiest way to, to solve it is just build first and sell later. And that would yep. certainly uh, make for a very different product in a very different industry, but um, has a lot of challenges to, to use that model and a lot of you know potential pitfalls like we've seen in the U.S. markets mm-hmm. when they took yeah. that model. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Brian, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. What's the best way for people to uh, learn more about um, Mattamy Homes, particularly Mattamy High Rise Division? Um, well, we've got two websites. We've got monarchgroup.net or um, com. So either one. Uh, since we've got a much wider assortment of product at mattamyhomes.com. We might even sell somebody a townhouse in Jacksonville for under $200,000. There <laughs> you know, go. <laughs> I always say, well, we should just throw a townhouse in with some of our houses in Oak Hill, but uh, it's, uh, yeah, we've got, it's, it's kind of interesting to see this, the breadth of the company, but monarchgroup.net or mattamyhomes.com. That's great, Brian. Thank you so much for being on the show. appreciate your time. Okay, Andrew. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the True Condos Podcast. Remember, your positive reviews make a big difference to the show. To learn more about condo investing, become a True Condos subscriber by visiting truecondos.com.